Well, greetings, Exponential family. Welcome back to The Hub. Uh, my name is Bill Kokenauer. I'm part of the Exponential team, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this time together where we really uh, have kind of a special focus on the future. This is part two of a three-part series we're calling Go Beyond. Um, and last time, and this is the second session, so in the first session, we were really kind of suggested that the past 13 months or so been this, this great pause to so many of the things that were just part of our everyday life and, and things that we were just used to doing and, and even took for granted perhaps back then, but really thinking about what if this great pause is actually a great reset that God's doing. And, and if that's the case, as we're seeing the, the vaccine uh, get more widely distributed as uh, hospitalization and deaths continue to, to drop, we start to see kind of this um, uh, light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And, uh, but before blasting forward, we, in, in just kind of the direction we were headed before all of this took place, uh, let's explore how this great reset uh, could launch us into a, a new reality in our homes, our communities, and, and in our churches. And so that's, that's what we're exploring in this uh, Go Beyond webinar series with Disciples Made. And I want to introduce you to our two guests, uh, Rob Wegner, who's the founder of Kansas City Underground and part of the Disciples Made team. Uh, Rob, good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. Really glad to be part of this conversation today. Yeah, yeah. And, and glad you could join us from your hotel room there. Hey, I'm in Boise. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Brian Fitz. It's colder in Boise and it's raining than it, than it is in Kansas City. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it's beautiful in Florida, as you would expect. And Brian was telling me it's windy in Kansas, as you would expect. So everything's the way it should be. Uh, so I, I want to introduce Brian Fitz, who is the founder of Disciples May. Brian, good to have you with us, too. Always a pleasure, Bill. Yeah. Just r real quickly for somebody that may not know about Disciples Made at all, just uh, if you could tell us briefly what, what that's about. Disciples Made uh, started inside of a mega church. I was a small group pastor. The business didn't start, but the practices did. The awareness is the aha as we were adding a lot of people to small groups, but we weren't multiplying disciples. And I just had a deep conviction uh, that resulted in a repentance moment that said, I'm going to start to do things a little bit differently. I don't know what that looks like, because if I would have known what to do differently, I would have already been doing it. I was leveraging the best practices uh, that we're actually, you know, talking about today, which where a lot of people are leveraging, you know, the weekend service to get folks into groups or into serving. And then from that, you know, uh, that was kind of the method for disciple making and, so Disciples Made just ended up being this way of multiplying disciples that took place kind of underneath uh, the radar that was very significant. Uh, then it kind of got, you know, word around Kansas City of what was happening at the church where we were. So we did some proof of concept outside. Uh, and then coaching churches to do that became such a passion of mine that I couldn't help to do that, you know, more than build that in the local the local church. So the not-for-profit ministry started about four years ago that I've been working full-time for in the last three. So it's a joy to be a part of this conversation. Uh, really cool. Really cool to see, you know, when we live into our passions, you know, what God does with that. That's, that's great. So, so as I mentioned, this is uh, part two of a three-part series. And you know, before you're kind of launching us into the second part. If, we, if you guys maybe go back to the, what was the sort of the theme of the, the first session that we were together and Brooks, if you'll put a link to, uh, for those of you that didn't see it or you want to watch it again, Brooks is going to put a link in the chat 
to the recording of the first session. But uh, remind us what that was about and, and making that kind of that link to what we'll talk about today. Yes, we're talking about having this opportunity to reset. And by the way, um, if you're watching this today, I just want to invite you to be a part of the Reset Conference. Um, this is actually a great way to kind of warm up for that. Um, but one of the things we looked at, the primary theme of our last webinar was go beyond having enough volunteers. And uh, any church leader uh, knows that sometimes, let's just be honest, it can be a grind. Uh, we, we've got a lot of important programs and ministries, and they need to be staffed. And I know it's the heart of most church leaders. We, we want people to, uh, to be meaningfully engaged. Uh, we want them, many of us are trying to be really intentional about doing that in a gift-based way. Um, but even with those best practices in place, uh, it, it can be a heavy weight <laughs> where you're just like, Oh man, who canceled this week? How many people are missing? You know, what's the, oh, uh, we got, how are we going to scramble to fill, you know, we got the, you know, nursery in the third service. We got the second and third graders in the, in the first service. And how are we going to, and I just, I know the grind of that. And, uh, and it's been a, a, a genuine desire for most pastors to see their people meaningfully engaged in ministry. Um, and volunteerism can be a good step, um, but we have an opportunity to reset our mobilization systems in the church like we've never had before. I mean, probably this is the greatest opportunity in a century uh, for church leaders to um, begin changing fundamentally what mobilization means in the church. And so what I mean by that is what we discussed last week is how do we begin to shift the culture from we can we can do it. You can help. In other words, we have the programs and then there's volunteer slots and you can come help execute the ministry of the church to actually, you can do it. We can help. How do we begin to create a culture of um, personal calling mm -hmm. where in Ephesians 2.10, it says you are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. And in the original language here, it says that you're to walk in these good works, that there's actually a unique body of good works that has your name on it. Mm. And that, yes, the body of Christ is a masterpiece, but each part within it is also a masterpiece. And there's a unique contribution that you can uniquely make. And if we make the end zone of, of ministry, volunteerism in a program, um, we will inadvertently either be delaying or sidetracking or distracting people from the ultimate masterpiece mission. And so last week we explored uh, uh, practical ways, like how do people actually discover their calling? You know, you need some kind of calling assessment process. And we, the one we use is called Gifts, Passion, Story. Uh, we've written a companion book to help ordinary folks stay engaged and discover their personal calling. How do you train calling coaches within your congregation to help people debrief their calling assessment and then to begin to identify their key area of passion, their top couple gifts, and to get going. And what can happen is volunteerism now can be reframed within this much bigger picture of every single person being deployed on mission into their masterpiece mission. And volunteerism now becomes almost like an incubator where you're learning how to work on a team, where you're learning um, ministry skills and leadership skills, where you're stepping into a ministry that's actually a meaningful step towards your personal calling 
Uh, and it was a really dynamic conversation. And I think there's a growing number of church leaders that are realizing, hey, you can still do volunteerism, but you don't make it the end zone anymore. It's actually the beginning. It's sort of the training wheels to get going. So that's what we dove into last week. If you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to findyourplacebook.com. Um, and we've actually got church implementation kits on how to begin that journey of creating a culture of personal calling that can also incorporate volunteerism. Good. I appreciate that. Now, now we want to move in today to this go beyond developing leadership skills. So, so first things first, what, what do you mean by leadership skills and why are those, why are those not enough? I love this question because when I first had the aha about what the difference is, it was a whole new aperture of what God could do. I mean, I thought he could do big things with the definition I'm about to give you. And I thought it was really an upgrade from what, the way I was earlier trained in school to be a pastor in a church. I thought like the definition I'm about to give was the ceiling. And then God just went boom to the ceiling and opened it up. So typically when we talk about developing leadership in churches, what we're describing is the specific competencies that we teach people in order to do specific roles in the church. For example, when we uh, train for leadership uh, in a children's ministry, we train people how to use the curriculum, train people about the protocols for the kid-teacher ratios, you know, teach the uh, security protocols of who can get in and who can't. We train them essentially to lead in that specific effort. And that's the same for youth ministry. It's the same for uh, parking lot or security or whatnot. And obviously we need this kind of training in the church because we want to do these things with excellence. That's part of how we represent the character of God uh, to people. We want to keep our kids safe, et cetera. Um, but just like we can't make volunteerism the end zone, we can't make this the primary definition of leadership development. So I thought that was like the end zone, Bill. I thought that was the key is to really take that to the next level. But what I found out is that Jesus isn't just in the, the um, church program development business. He's in a, a bigger business. He's in a, a people development business. And like Rob said, you know, when we really open the aperture up from a, we can do it, you can help to a, you can do it and, and, and we can help. It's, it's a lot bigger than just the church's efforts to change a community or to change a metro area or to change a state uh, and beyond. Um, if we really are in the people develop business, we can realize that the Spirit of God has actually written some powerful things into people, including the skills and the passions to literally change culture in a way that's perhaps larger uh, than a local congregation. I'm not going to use the term the church because that would assume that these people aren't, <laughs> in fact, in their core DNA, uh, the church. So again, Jesus is in the people development business, not just simply the ministry role development business. We've been called to do so much more than train people to do tasks. We've been called to help every follower of Jesus optimize their spiritual influence. And that's a key phrase. Uh, for today. I believe God's given every follower of his uh, a, a significant potential for spiritual influence, uh, and the possibilities of what that look like are limitless. Like Rob said, the Spirit has deposited gifts into these people's lives. He's deposited passions uh, into their lives through the stories that he's been writing in their lives and wants to write through their lives in this masterpiece 
mission. And as long as ministry roles are a part of that process and not the destination, then I think they're amazingly valuable. But like Rob said earlier, the moment they become the destination and therefore the limiting factor of their influence, that's when I'm going to say something fairly strong. That's when we have really neutered their potential as well as the kingdom thriving that God designed for them to live into. So that's the big difference. Leadership is typically seen as a competency set to obtain or to lead well in a certain department or area of of a church program. What we're talking about is developing spiritual influence, helping people uh, recognize that, participate in those local programs, but allow that to be a springboard through which they could potentially do uh, grander and grander things uh, in partnership with us in the community, um, not just limited by our uh, short menu of options. That that actually brings to mind two questions for me. And by the way, if, if you have questions as we're going along here, go ahead and put them into the chat and Brooks will get them to us. And, and we'd love to get your questions answered too. But um, the one of the questions that I have is it is, Am I right in saying it looks like one, uh, one way the focus is on the programs, where the other way the focus is on the people? You're not just you're not saying we don't need programs, but you're. It seems like the shift, if if you know, if I'm reading it correctly, is from a, a focus on the programs and developing programs to focus on developing people who then might be part of those programs or might be God might be leading to do other things. Is that? Yeah, absolutely, Bill. It's. Fundamentally, that's the business Jesus is in. He's an expert at human transformation. And, um, and the, the problem is when we have leadership pipelines that are focused on very specific roles, like we're training for children's ministry or youth ministry, or our leadership pipeline leads to a church planter residency or a certain staff position. Uh, there's a couple. First, The first challenge with that is... Um, you're actually strangling the creativity of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's pipeline actually is so expansive. It goes to every corner of culture and every sphere of society. So if my pipeline keeps, you know, pointing people into a, a set number of roles, I'm actually working in some ways, I might be working counter to the Holy Spirit. So we need a leadership pipeline. that's not just focused on roles and skills. What Brian's saying is we need one that's focused on influence And what we have already talked about is helping people discover their gifts, their passion, their story, what's their personal calling. But there's another huge dimension of really maximizing influence, and that's um, character. So when Paul's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in in our lives, he talks about gifts of the Spirit, which is about your calling. And then he talks about through the Spirit, which is your character. And we are called to become like Christ. And that isn't um, behavior management. It's about learning how to partner with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the word Paul uses is metamorpheo, which is a pretty fun word to say. It means transformation. And it's about a a different, um, like qualitative difference in terms of your being. And we all feel this gap between who we are and who we want to be. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're not just sitting there doing nothing. Paul says that God is at work in us and we should work it out with fear and trembling. And that's where, you know, spiritual habits come in. 
where I begin to practice spiritual habits. And it's like throwing up a sail to catch the wind, to join the spirit and my transformation. That's also where community comes in. Like if, if Jesus needed to spend time daily with his father, if he needed his triad, if he needed his 12, so do we. And our catchphrase in Disciples Made, this is fundamentally our definition of a disciple. It's character times calling equals impact. So it's the Holy Spirit who's transforming us in character and calling. And as we're growing in our character and calling, it's increasing the impact of the spirit in us, but also the spirit through us. So when you begin training people and equipping people in both character and calling, now you're cooking with gas. Now you're going to be creating disciples that can actually change culture rather than be changed by the culture. They actually know how to be disciple makers in the way of Jesus. So character times calling equals impact. And it's this invitation into the fully alive life. Good. And, and we actually had a question come in that says, how do you maximize the influence in practice? You would say that's, that's exactly what you say is character and calling would be the, that's how you would maximize influence in, in, you know, in practice. Right. That's sort of the formula. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, and no one can do that in isolation. Like you have to be in some kind of relational environment. Like, and we think Jesus methods are just as important as his message. So like you need three, you need 12, you need to be learning spiritual habits. It, you need to be processing the right content. Like most discipleship is just to open your skull, pouring the data that doesn't get the job done. You need the right content at the right time, according to where you're at in your journey. Uh, and you need to be what we call it mission fixated as well. The context for disciple making ultimately isn't, you know, in a classroom inside of a church building. It's going to be where you live, work, learn, play, where you're doing everyday life. And you're focusing on those, all of that, those focusing on the spirit's outcomes. Because if you're, let's say, focusing on content apart from the spirit's outcomes, well, then now it's puffs up. If you're fo focusing on spiritual habits apart from the Spirit, yeah. uh, spirits outcomes. Now you're going to become an awesome Pharisee and a great, you know, start rating yeah. your life on how am I doing on my spiritual disciplines? Anyone been there and done that? But when you start doing all these together with a focus on the spirits out outcomes, then you, that's how you get rising impact, rising influence where people live, work, learn and play as kingdom agents. And, and that's what the Lord's called us to. So let's take this, you know, from a, from concept now to reality. How, where do you see this? How do you see this playing out currently in in the different organizations that you guys are involved in? I'm gonna hand that over to Bry. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back just real quick to um, what was the surprise I saw when I started focusing on these two things? Like I mentioned saying that, that Jesus said, I want you to do things differently. And I knew instinctively it had to be about the things that the spirit wants to accomplish and its gifts and its, uh, and its fruit. Like, let's focus on those two things. And, the, and the, what I knew we were onto something when these guys. And, and I don't know if anybody's heard this story before that's on this call, but I remember when Jesus said, I want you to take your current two groups and turn them into five groups, raise up leaders and co-leaders from among those two groups. And I looked around and I was like, I don't see anybody in here that's ready to do that, Jesus. So I wasn't looking at like a bunch of Bill Kukenauers and and Rob Wegner's and, and all the other like strong leaders that we have on these exponential uh, webinars and calls. I mean, it was normal people that would not see themselves in those kind of chairs. 
And so it was really an unusual thing, but we started to invited those guys into this and we focused on character and calling. And next thing, you know, they had a spiritual backbone. They were on mission and they were fired up. It's like somebody flipped a switch in their soul uh, two or three months into this thing that I was looking at him going, what have we just done? <laughs> and I love the question from that panelist because it's like, okay, let's, we know how to get there. I'm about to talk about that, but it's just so helpful and so inspiring to me to know that we've actually seen it happen. And you didn't have to, I didn't have to drive it. That was the weird part. It's like, I was just being faithful to disciple in a particular way with this particular focus, character times calling equals impact. And it actually worked and it's still working and it's working in a spreading way across the country. So if I was to actually come in, Bill, to your church and you were to say, okay, I see the character times calling equals impact. Now help me figure out how to integrate that into my system because disciples made never wants to replace what you're doing. We want to help you understand what you're doing and optimize your system to start to really move people along that spiritual influence scale. And, uh, and I would start by just kind of telling you the story uh, or, or walking you through the story of how Jesus uh, took Peter and the rest of the disciples from being fishermen that didn't really have a play in the, in the kingdom work they weren't priests. They weren't rabbis. They weren't, you know, potentials to go to Jerusalem and, you know, study under Gamaliel. They, they were fishermen, unlettered men. It's like they even got critiqued later. Like these people can't be legit. They're just dumb fishermen from up north. And Jesus said, yep. And they're ahead of you guys somehow. So let's ask the question, how did that happen? How did these normal people that no one else gave cred to uh, become people that the Pharisees became jealous of? That's a pretty pertinent question and a pretty uh, uh, challenging and fun question. So if you look at how Jesus discipled Peter, Peter, Jesus gave Peter room to just discern whether or not Jesus really was in charge of the world. (laughs) You know, people are familiar with these phases, like come and see it's an explore. Uh, level of spiritual formation. And we love doing that. I love Alpha. I love uh, Stanley's little uh, 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 starting point, all these environments that, that that are created to give people room to ask questions and to not have assumptions that people are bringing to bear on them so that they can take their time and really experience Jesus. Jesus allowed that for Peter and the rest of the guys. They, they got to witness You know, a lot of food being distributed from one little lunch. They got to witness uh, people walking on water, people coming back to life, people being healed. And then he asked them that question. Who do people say that I am? And I love how Peter said, well, based upon what I have seen in this first phase of spiritual formation, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And uh, so they kind of are done with that phase. And then he starts this process of a come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. There needs to be a little bit less Peter and a little bit more Jesus. And that's a long process. And, uh, but, and it's a process that he took him on and it's a training and he was developing that fruit and he was developing those competencies. Hey, you guys go out, let's do some healing. Let's do some casting out of demons and providing, and then let's come back and debrief. So he was developing that calling aspect, the skills that they needed to do this ministry, but he was also developing them and being less about them and and more about him. 
And then if you think about it, it was right after Peter's biggest failure, the three denials that, um, that Jesus kind of introduces the final phase of this, you know, this, uh, what we would call influence, explore, develop was that middle phase and then influence you are. And, and that, and that last one is, is feed my sheep. And Jesus actually takes that failure of Peter and, and leverages it as kind of a reconciliation conversation, but also a knighting conversation. I no longer call you a servant. You know, he says to the disciples at this phase of the game, I call you friends, your partners, you've been trained, you kick the tires, you, you've been shaped and, 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 and changed. And now it's time for you to, to lead others. I'm going back to the father. I'm going to send you the spirit. And once you have him, he'll remind you of all things. He'll activate those gifts and you will be doing greater things than me not because you're better than me or have access to a different power than me. It's just that you can be me and extend that power through my spirit uh, throughout the rest of the world. So I would help a church realize that there are, there, there are phases to spiritual formation and, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. Uh, I, we suggest the explore, develop influence framework, um, the church that we came from had seeker, believer, follower, leader uh, as phases. What's critical is that every church has those phases. And, and Rob, you might be helpful to take a quick moment and talk about how those can't, you can't kind of um, substitute a spiritual formation passage or a pathway for an assimilation pathway. Can you take a minute to just kind of describe the difference between a spiritual formation pathway and a, an assimilation pathway. And then I'll pick back up and, and yeah. take it the rest of the way down. Yeah. Typically assimilation um, is about our friend, Doug Paul calls it uh, relational flypaper. You know, we know we've got a big front door and we're hoping that there's a lot of folks coming through on a weekend service. And the question is, how do we close the back door? So assimilation is about inviting people into community. That's important. That's meaningful. Uh, but if you look at how Jesus did disciple making, uh, there was an invite to community, but it was also a, a high challenge invite. So there's freedom in this explore stage. Come and see. Come investigate. But there is this moment when it becomes an intentional development journey where Jesus says, Come and follow. Leave your nets. And he's he's inviting people by name. It's not a cattle call. Hey, y'all want to sign up for this program? <laughs> he's prayed and had revelation from his father uh, about who to invite. And it's I'm going to I'm going to pour my life into a few so we can reach many. So assimilation is typically about how do we help the many find some place of community, uh, whereas disciple making is about going to a few. With a, with a high challenge invite into a community for the express purpose of disciple making. Most assimilation strategies, the community touch points, um, they're great at giving people a community touch point. They're usually not good at doing disciple making or mission because they weren't designed for that. Yeah. And so that's why you need a very intentional pathway around disciple making, disciple making tools, 
what makes a disciple making culture in a, in a clear pathway. And that's why this explore, develop, influence, uh, it, it's, it's something someone can really get their mind around very quickly. And when we were at Westside, uh, our mission was, you know, up in and out, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. And so we basically had a matrix uh, where there's nine different boxes and we began to develop relational environments and tools that people could engage at any one of those nine ma- matrix and begin to intentionally develop through par- partnership and interdependence with the church into a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's awesome. And uh, <clears throat> so what I would typically do with folks, um, if I was to go, Bill, like I said, if I was to go into your church, I would create that framework. I put it a funnel uh, type of thing on the board uh, where there's a big top of the funnel that kind of worked its way down. And I would put explore at the top, develop in the middle, influence on the bottom. And, uh, and then I would say, all right, let's, use, let's take all of your current disciple-making um, experiences that you would call disciple-making, and let's plot them on this graph. And a lot of attractional churches will take explore you know, or take the weekend service and put it up top because we we're here for seekers. We're here for guests We're uh, we might have more of a target than that, but that that's a big thing. And they would take small groups and they'd put it somewhere on the line between explore and develop some small groups, of course, fit further down into develop or, or heavily it explore, you know, depending on the focus of the group or the, you know, just the level of maturity of the leader and the, the, the priority of the leader, <clears throat> but most attractional churches, find that they don't have anything at the bottom of develop that prepares their people to influence broadly to the point where if their church was gone, those people would be just fine. They have uh, pretty much uh, everything that they need. And so we actually tell, just start to say, okay, here's what you have going for you. Here's the strengths. And now what's missing? And it's usually that bottom end of the funnel. And so we start to say, okay, here's how we can help some of these things uh, fill in. And Rob, you just uh, shared your screen, I think. So I did. Yeah, it's a very simple framework uh, that's actually very powerful. Um, One of the things that we did, for example, is we basically rebooted what was typically known as membership and created something called you know, like typically you get invited to go to kind of the membership class, the one-on-one class, whatever you want to call it. And basically you get drilled for three hours with the mission, vision, values of the church and uh, the faith statement. And then at the end, you're asked to sign a membership commitment. What we did is we created a simple assessment. So when people are ready to take a step towards spiritual development, we'd say, hey, take this assessment and we help them figure out, are you a, when it comes to up, in, and out, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, where are you? Are you at exploring? Are you at develop? Are you at influence? And then they would come to a gathering that was called Get Connected. And we had um, spiritual coaches that would sit at each table. And we'd talk through the purpose of loving Jesus, which is about worship. It's about moving from unbelief to belief in Jesus in every area of life for 10 minutes. And then we'd say, hey, uh, you took that assessment. We're going to unpack kind of where you're at on your journey. And then the, the coaches at the table would be able to unpack, hey, you're, you're at the exploring phase of this. I want you to know we have uh, a couple of tools and a couple of relational environments that you could explore. There's one called Alpha. Um, 
And so suddenly, as you work through the three purposes of the church over about 75 minutes in conversation at a table with a coach who knew the two or three key opportunities at each part of the matrix, somebody would leave with a customized spiritual development plan. And it, and it was amazing the, the feedback that we got, like night and day difference between the old membership class versus, you know, you're, you can do this and we can help. You can actually love Jesus, become like Jesus, share Jesus, we're to help you. And where most churches have the um, biggest gap right out the chute is it's in the developing and influencing level. Uh, most churches have a lot of exploring opportunities. Yeah. Um, some churches go all in with developing or influencing and have nothing on the explore end. Um, and that's where we created, um, Brian, why don't you start to unpack on FM and LM? Because these are what we call intentional disciple-making environments that really move people from develop to influence in a very significant way. Just even before Brian Brian starts there, what this reminds me of is um, like going to a gym, you know, and you just go there and sit there and be part of a class, you know, where they play a video about how or what you're talking about here is you're actually like the 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 fitness trainer. You're you're helping to us them assess exactly where they're at what their goals are, and then creating a plan. These are the machines you need to do. These are the reps you need to do. And this is, you know, to, to, to get the results that, that you were designed to get. Yeah. And Bill, to take that metaphor even further, um, it's a win when we create other gym owners. (laughs) Good. You know, I mean, that's the real deal. It's like, we want the world to be fit. And the only way for the world to be fit is to have a gym uh, in every neighborhood. Come on. Get, uh, <laughs> I mean, Come on. And to have a gym coach and on every street, like you have somebody walking around that's, that's healthy. And it requires two elements. It requires appropriate diet and appropriate exercise. Yeah. And, and, you know, those, those two things are critical for a healthy fit person. And for a spiritually fit person, you need to develop fruit and you need to develop gifts. Those are the two non-negotiables. And um, yeah, Rob, you asked me kind of to pick up right there. And when it- Just before you do, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we, we had another call come in and I want to, you know, stay with this metaphor. So how do you, the question is, where do you follow up with new believers? So, so you know, you, you've assessed them, you, here's the pro, what's the follow-up look like? In our experiences at Westside that we created, um, they had a short list of options that made sense for them, whether they were perceiving themselves to be at explore, develop, or influence. And we had a sheet of, of options, a short list of options where they could get plugged in. And those coaches around the table would actually guide them to select those that they had the most interest in. And then they would leave that sheet on the table with us. And they could go pick up their kids and go. We didn't want them to have to think about it anymore. Like their eyes, their, you know, their attention was already shifted before we were had 15 minutes left to be done. And so all we wanted was to capture their interest. And then we actually had process cues uh, inside, you know, our admin efforts there at the church to follow up with them, whether it was a different ministry or whatnot. We had processes to where they didn't have to think about it anymore that day. We would do all the follow up from the individual departments of the things that they had indicated uh, their interest in. So that's how we'd follow up. So right, I had interrupted, you were kind of throwing it to Rob to, to dig into FM and LM and where that fits in. So Rob, you want to 
pick up from there? Yeah. Yes, certainly. Um, so, well, Rob, you, you were tossing about, this one to me. Did you want me to take it yeah, or do you want to grab it? Yeah, no, go ahead, bud. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's fun for me. We had, when I first got to West side, I was kind of given these four phases, seeker, believer, follower, leader. And, uh, and, you know, which I loved, it was based off of the uh, results of the reveal study that Willow had done. And uh, they, they recognize there's these four phases that people are in. And that was kind of West side's uh, language to use to describe those four phases. And what was obvious to me is that we were allocating all of our resources to the uh, seeker and believer phases. And there was almost like this dotted line uh, between believer and follower. Uh, people would break through there because they were self-initiators or whatnot. They would get through there. And there's people that were passionate about making disciples that were a part of the small group or other, you know, uh, areas of the church. Uh, But there was only a trickle. There wasn't this equal amount of flow from, you know, to use that picture, this flow from seeker to believer to follower leader, to use the funnel that I talked about earlier, there wasn't this percentage equivalent flow from explore, develop uh, to influence. So I'm like, well, why is that? Well, we don't have any obvious strategic and simple steps to move people from believer to follower. We have no literal training to take them there. All of our disciple-making efforts were primarily assimilation things uh, that had some disciple-making sprinkled in, but it wasn't a disciple-making thing. And it certainly wasn't developed on focusing both character and calling. So followers made, what we wanted to do was create these um, very high bar, long duration, outcome-focused experiences that required an exclusive invitation because we only wanted people that were highly motivated to do that. And so we would pray for a couple of weeks, God, who are you already creating this hunger in? How can we identify them and invite them on this track, so to speak? And so we've realized that followers made categorically help people move from believer to follower because they were be, they were developing that fruit and they were develop, identifying and starting to walk in those gifts very intentionally. And what we saw, Bill, was huge. It's like people were reporting to us that their... Um, their capacity to, to know and to walk into their personal calling grew 60%. Like that's nuts. That's nuts. And they would say that their, their capacity to actually become more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind went up at least 30%. They actually had some traction in that because most of the disciple making in churches is about the character aspects, at least self-control. And so when you see 30% in one and 60% in the other, you're seeing a net gain in them both. They're tasting that fully alive life. We don't want them to stop there. We want them to take that influence that's evolving, that's developing uh, through the partnership with the Holy Spirit and take it to the next level. So we have this thing called Leaders Made, which is 10 and a half months, which assumes that there's a development of character and calling. But when it comes to character, we're, 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 uh, we're inviting them to level up again. Like where Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, in followers, mate, I just learned how to follow Christ. <laughs> but now we're becoming people that are worth following saying, okay, now you can follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that's a whole upgrade from there. And I've never really been challenged with leadership stuff. I haven't been developed at work. I haven't been developed wherever. Well, I can be developed in the church. 
I can read biblical standards for leadership. I can read about incarnational levels of leadership. I can read about practical leadership and be challenged by other people in that same pursuit to become more Jesus to change the world. Uh, so that's a 10 and a half month process we have. And what we found is that, wow, there's these people that now are walking in their giftedness. They're strong. They're courageous. They're no longer passive. You know, we need, as men, we need to resist passivity. I'm trying to think that's Robert. Who was that? I'm I, the whole bow shoot. I brought up a conversation. I don't know the answer to uh, uh, accept responsibility, reject passivity. Who was that? Robert, somebody It's killing me. It's Bob. We'll go with we'll go with Bob for now. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, you see this go. happening. We got some stories to share. Sorry, I went down a road I had to back out of. I hate that. Oh well, I got excited. Actually, that that, that gives the uh, gives me an opportunity there. There's a great question that came in. That so so the, the this person that you're the spiritual director. This person that their interests, their strengths, their giftings, their Ephesians two ten gifting doesn't fit a particular role or or title or opportunity that you have available. How do you direct those people to something that does fit their passion and ability? I got well, a short answer. All, oh. Oh, go ahead, man. You go first. You, you do your short answer. My guess is Rob's is a little longer. Yeah. Uh, here's the short answer. You don't. And now, Rob, go for it. <laughs> I know it's Kurt, but it's true. I just want to be real quick about that. Yeah, that's it's actually uh, I know it's Kurt, but it's true. And here's what you do offer. Now, first of all, I want to say most of the people, you won't actually have something to offer. And the goal isn't for the church to be able to offer something for everyone. In fact, more and more, the church needs to get focused on how do we actually build disciple-making capacity? How do we actually keep increasing everybody's influence as a leader? How do we help activate people as missionaries? So that's why um, something like Fowler's made and Leader's made most people are going to be discovering and doing the work of calling discovery within that intentional disciple-making environment. Yeah. So I'm going. Yeah. It's not like a one-off experience where I take an assessment, I meet with a staff person and they're supposed to plug me in. That you're in a six-month journey with your peers, someone who is discipling you and teaching you how to disciple others. And you're in this in real time journey, like I'm thinking about uh, one of the groups that Brian and I led, a guy named Jamie, who starts doing the calling discovery process. He's in sales and marketing, and he really starts tapping into this passion in his life for the disadvantaged, for at-risk kids. And he's just got the stirring that's growing in him that he's no, he knows he's not activating. It's a big part of his story. It was something he used to be a part of vocationally. And we watched over six months as he was just taking these little steps, like by the leading of the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and he ended up being drawn to this particular uh, new nonprofit that had launched in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Kansas City. So he goes down there and he starts volunteering because that's a meaningful next step. Long story short, he ends up being hired as their executive director. <laughs> so we're watching in six months for him, like seeing his passion awakened him listening to the Holy Spirit coming to us and going, now, does that make sense? What do you guys think? We're going, well, what do you think? Yeah, you got to go down there and volunteer. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? You know, and then watching this story unfold. And we've literally seen that happen 
thousands of times now where the Holy Spirit, he actually provides the right next steps. As long as you're in an intentional disciple making environment, a relational environment, if you're out here on your own or you're trying to do it in an institutional way, um, the success rate's a whole lot lower. It just, you know, again, I guess it it seems to emphasize the fact that the focus has to shift from the programs to the people. Yeah. That that has to be- In creating intentional disciple making environments. Yeah. Absolutely. Like not you have to have these relational have environments. Right. Not that you don't have both, but where where's your focus? Where, where what's what's the primary focus? Well, this, this is good. So so in terms of the, the, the leadership that you were talking about, can you give us specific examples of how this leadership has evolved? I think that's helpful for, you know, a lot of us, you know, that we have the, the theory and that sort of thing, but we actually see it in action and played out in different people's lives. Not that that's prescriptive. I think that's helpful and understanding how these might play out. Do you have some examples that you could give us? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rob just gave you one, but I'll give you one about one of my just favorite people. This guy's name is Brad Norman. Um, I started out being just really jealous of Brad because he's really good looking and talk about being fit. He's just this monster guy and he crushes me at golf. All the reasons I didn't ever want to hang around with him because he just made me feel insecure. Well, he gets, he gets, um, he gets some, some cancer threat and he comes and he finds me in a hallway and we were just getting ready to kick off a new small group initiative, uh, 40 days in the word actually by, uh, uh, Rick Warren. So this was a number of years ago. Uh, but Brad comes up to me in the hallway between services and he just said, Hey man, it's time for me to get connected to a small group. And I said, well, Hey, I'm starting one. We're doing 40 days in the word and I'd love for you to join mine. And so he did came and he was a participant in that. And that was very meaningful for him. Of course, I'm the whole time looking for people that I can invite to level up from that explore level into the develop and then develop into influence. And so I, uh, I said at the end of that, I mean, and I did that group just to see who might level up, you know, so there's Brad. And at the end, I said, Brad, get ready to kick off this followers made group. I've been praying about who to invite and I keep uh, thinking that you're kind of the guy, you you seem to demonstrate that initiative in that group. And he said, I am all in. You just tell me where and when. So Brad gets in there. He takes a GPS assessment. He recognizes that his uh, top gifts are shepherding and encouragement. Does not list leadership yet at this point. Shepherding, encouragement. So we involve him and in, you have to volunteer to be in Followers Made. That's how that influence starts to develop. And we said, okay, probably a good place for you to serve is the Stevens ministry. So I connect him to the head of the care department and he starts volunteering with Stevens ministry throughout that experience. And he's getting peer feedback and they're loving it. And I check back in with the head of that department. He's like, yeah, we've already kind of bumped Brad up to uh, some of the leadership team. The guy is really strong. He's, he's got a lot of capacity. I'm like, well, that's cool. I think he's an awesome dude. And so uh, because he's excelling in that leadership development, now he's done with followers made. I invite him into leaders made since he's leading people, not just doing a, a task. He's a quiet guy. We're going through leaders made. He's doing great. He's loving the group that we're in. A lot of peer feedback. He doesn't really say much. And then one night I'm on my way to go hang out with him and a few others. And the spirit prompts me and says, um, hey, Brian, ask Brad if he's interested in uh, planting a church. And I was like, planning a church. He's one of the quietest guys there. And he owns his painting company. Like Brad's not going to be interested in that. And Jesus in his very kind way said, 
did I stutter? Like, do I need to keep asking you this? Or are you just going to obey what I say? So I get there to, to the restaurant where we're hanging out and, I, and there was a break in the conversation. I said, Brad, I'm supposed to ask you, I've just felt this prompting on the way here. Have you ever considered planting a church? And he just had this stunned deer in the headlight look at me. And he goes, I was just talking to these guys before you showed up about wanting to do a career change and not exactly knowing what it was, but that, and he basically went on to tell me, Bill, that he didn't sleep for the next three nights, <laughs> uh, feeling the call of God stirring him to this next level. Uh, so he ends up going to Exponential with us the next year. It was down in Tampa. At the, that was the one where we had to move over to the West yeah. Coast. And he's yeah. with us and he's going to the whole church planning thing. Next thing you know, he uh, sells his business, his painting business and becomes a campus pastor at Westside. And now Brad's actually taken my former role as the next steps pastor, spiritual formation uh, at Westside Family Church. And so and, and his story is not even done yet. Yeah. But here's a painter who's concerned about his life who moves from explore to develop, develop to influence. And now he's raising up other influencers and perpetuating the thing. So that's an example uh, from Westside in a way that stays kind of in the church. That's really cool. That's really cool. But again, the, the focus wasn't we're looking for church planners because you might have missed, you would have missed him. If totally. your focus was on church planners, you'd, you'd have missed him. But with the Great. focus on the person, yeah. yeah. Rob, you have another story you want to share? Yeah, another guy who popped to mind uh, is a guy. His name is Matt Barnes, and Matt's uh, he's a stud. He's one of my twelve. Yeah, and uh, he's at my fire every Thursday. And Matt, uh, he was at Westside, and uh, he'd been a part of Followers Made, Leaders Made. Um, we had launched what's now called Missionaries Made, and the Lord really began. He's very uh, he is in a very high position in social security in the Midwest. He's like the, at the highest level of leadership at the youngest age of like almost anybody in social security. So very competent leader. Um, and felt this um, real sense of calling his primary place of sentence though, wasn't social security. Um, he helps coach a baseball team and it's a travel league. And he and his wife, uh, knew the amount of pain and disillusionment, uh, the kind of relational ruptures in those families. Like when you spend every weekend together for three or four months, you get a pretty good view of what's actually going on. Yeah. And they kind of were naturally becoming kind of the center point of that community, safe people that people would come to and say, hey, I, I think I'm going to lose my marriage, you know, or fill in the blank. And what happened over a period of time is they began to live as more and more faithful missionaries. God be just began to do amazing things. Like one particular moment um, in that journey, there's a woman whose mother um, was critical in the hospital. And they had basically told the family, prepare for her to die. And that family reached out to Matt and Sarah and said, we know you're praying people. We know, you know, God, would you, I'm afraid to actually ask you to pray because I'm afraid the prayer won't get answered. And then I'm going to be angry at God on top of everything else. And I'm not sure if I believe in him anyway, long story short, they prayed and that woman's still alive and well, <laughs> she had a miraculous turnaround, which led like to a spiritual kind of catalytic moment 
And what emerged out of that was a whole new group of disciples. And Matt and Sarah felt a really clear call, like, we're not going to plan an institutional church. Like, we have a church that's emerging right here. And so they were one of the first microchurches that kind of emerged out of Missionaries, Maine. And now there's a whole network of microchurches up in that part of town, Bonner and Piper. And Matt and Sarah, now in the underground, they lead what's called the Elder Task Force. Like, they're, they're designing all the training for all the spiritual parents, the elders in the underground. And, uh, and what's amazing is, I'm not kidding, Bill, we could just, Brian and I could sit with you and just go one after another, after another, after another. Like once you begin to unlock character and calling as the, the primary focus in terms of how we're partnering with the spirit and create relational environments where people have 12 and a triad and they're learning how to be a missionary and they're learning spiritual habits and the gospels empowering all this. Um, we just stand in awe of what God does. And it, in these simple frameworks of explore, develop, influence, learn how to create these intentional disciple-making environments. And it's kind of like, just watch what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> it's, and, I, and I love those stories and, you know, known you long enough to know many stories beyond that. Why do you think, why do you think this is, the church doesn't do this automatically? I mean, why oh, do you feel that? That's a big one. Yeah, why, why, why are, why is it not just part of, you know, you know, just part of w- what the church would normally do? How did, how did we get away? Cause you know, uh, people that come to faith that have no church background, this, you know, the fact that you would be designed this way that, that God would call you to your mission, that you would give your whole life to your mission, it, you know, just is, is not, you know, that just makes all the sense in the world. You know, why, why is it a struggle for many churches to just to live into this? I think part of it is, uh, you know, America, you know, we're, although we never had an official, you know, religion of Christianity, we're definitely a Christian nation. And uh, there's a very old template of church, you know, where um, in Christendom, the church is kind of at the center. And and this sort of hierarchy of the pastor and the laity emerged and it began to become more and more about just shepherding and teaching and sort of caretaking for the already convinced. Cause it was pretty much assumed until about 50 years ago. It's like, if you're in America, you're a Christian. And uh, it's like people being inoculated. And then you add into kind of the consumeristic culture that has become so prevalent, you know, in the Western world. And over time, the church becomes kind of the purveyor of religious goods and services. And the upside of the church growth movement was it it did create an external focus. So that was missional. We brought in cultural relevance, which was a step at least in the direction of incarnational. But the dark side of it was like, oh, we're just going to be better at religious goods and services. Like, we're just going to be better at marketing. We're going to be better at weekend messages, better at music. And having been a part of that, um, I didn't mean for that to happen. I didn't. But I remember, you know, 10 years into what became a mega church going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? And I could tell we were inadvertently disempowering people. It wasn't our intent. 
um, and everything was kind of orbiting around the stage. And, uh, and it's very hard as church leaders to break orbit from that because that is what's, I mean, even people don't go to church, you know, there's kind of expectation. If you go to an organized church, that's what it's about. Like, how good is the message? How good is the music? What's your program list? <laughs> yeah. Literally, that's the stuff that people think, think, think. That's kind of the, how you rate church, you know? And that's part of why, you know, that's part of my journey, you know, it's just going, how, how do we um, reimagine the church as a decentralized network? So I empathize. Um, yeah. You can do this work, though, within the prevailing model. I mean, uh, we, it's happening in many, many places around the country right now. And I'm actually more encouraged than I have been in a long time about the, the pivot that a lot of church leaders have made during COVID, you know, yeah, to say, hey, we really need to get back to the fundamental irreplaceable core task of the church, which is disciple making. And, and I, I would echo that. I think during this, you know, what this great pause or what we're sort of referring to in this webinar is the great reset. I think that's one of the things that's happening. And, uh, and I'm really excited about that. Um, so, so where does this journey begin? If a, if a church leader is ready to go beyond uh, developing leadership skills, what, what advice here? We've got just a couple minutes left to, what advice do you have? Where do they go to begin that journey? I'll share that, but I want to start real quick, Bill, by saying how important it is. Um, what Rob just described there is a big portion of the why uh, we're here. Uh, one of the big reasons to run out is because of the inordinate pressure that puts on you as a church leader. Hmm. I mean, if you're feeling crushed and overwhelmed by the pressure that Rob just described, um, you have an option to make a shift. I remember the pressure on that. It was kind of a competition and I saw other church leaders as competition. If that's kind of the structure that this is all set up, we're set up to lose as a team. And if we're set up to lose, then somebody, but Jesus is winning and there's only one competitor to his throne and that's, that's Satan. So I just invite you out of that exhausting process and join one that actually is is the most uplifting, fulfilling experience in your life. My sons, I've got three kids. My two youngest are boys, and uh, and all my kids make me proud. And when they're all home, and my sons, who were the last to, to kind of get of size, uh, but now they're these beefy, strong football playing kids. When they come in, I've got this experience for the first time. I just there's a welling up of I've helped raise these kids to adults, and now they're my friends. I mean, Jesus said, man, if you can translate that kind of joy into what your church can be, then you win like the rest is details. But if you can grab that, you win. So how does Disciples Made want to help you do that? Uh, we've already given you the framework and kind of what you can do. We just want to help you do that framework if you find us to be trustworthy partners to engage that conversation. So Brooks is going to put up uh, our website. It's disciplesmade.com. You can go there. You can investigate these things a little bit further. If you're interested, you can click a button and request very simply a 30-minute discovery call. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you what your dreams are. You know, um, 
What are your pain points? What do you want to accomplish? And we'll give you an honest assessment as to whether or not we think our processes can help you out based upon your current circumstances. And if we do think it'll work, that we could be a good solution for you, uh, we'll recommend a plan based upon the kind of coaching and, and structure that you'll need. And our job, we've created systems that'll help you successfully over three years if you want. Go from the church where you have to a movement of disciple making where you'll see people move from explore to develop to influence and helping others uh, do the same. So that's our joy. That's why we stepped out to do what we do. Uh, so now our joy is to help you raise up people like that. And uh, it'd be a blessing to be able to partner with you. In that. Yeah, this is good, guys. I appreciate it so much. And and want to let everybody know that, you know, like we said, this is a second in a series of three. And, and the third session we've entitled Communicating Our Vision. And so I, I want to read this to you uh, just as kind of a teaser. Is that More than ever, it is time for you to communi communicate a clear and compelling vision to inspire broad church participation into an unknown future. What if we told you there's already a ready-made and time-proven vision for your church that will inspire participation and creativity well beyond your current membership? All you need to do is own it and share it. We will show you now or show you how, won't show you now. We will show you then. <laughs> then the, the how that will be 30 then. seconds. The how that will be is, uh, is on Monday. <laughs> we are convinced that the best vision for the church has already hit the planet. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. one else is going to be able to come up with a better one, but yeah, come back right. and come back and we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so it, It'll be on Monday, May 17th. Uh, so Monday, May 17th, at three o'clock Eastern. So uh, mark that down. We'd love to have you, love to have you join us again. And um, Brian and Rob, always good to be with you guys. Thank you for your investment in the kingdom um, and uh, good to be with you. Likewise. I got you, Cookie. See love you, brother. See you later. Thanks for being with us today.